Okay, the story begins. Welcome. We are on the bottom of page six. We're continuing the morning blessings. Every day we recite these blessings, thanking God for what may seem like random uh, acts of kindness, but we're, we're going to put them into context. Take a look at the bottom of page six. We're going to do the last two blessings today. So it would be blessing number six, <laughs> second to last one on the page. We'll read it in English first. Blessed are you, Lord, Lord, our God, okay. King of the universe, who spreads forth the earth above the waters. Thank you, God, for putting worth, uh, earth on the waters. <laughs> now, that is seven, right? What? Isn't that number seven? Number seven? Okay, my count is off. So it'd be number seven then. Seven and eight. Yeah. Seven and eight. Okay, there we go. Thank you, God, for spreading forth earth above the waters. What is, um, what are we being thankful here in this blessing? Creation, I think. It, okay, it is a part of creation. Um, if, but if it was distinctly creation, that should have come first, because that's the most basic of of things that God has done. And then we could be more specific about our site, about releasing the bound, about so, well, but it, it does tra trace us back to the story of creation. Yeah, what wasn't um, initially wasn't the earth a ball of water, and then right. So when God first created the world, there was the above waters, the below waters. There was earth. There was there was one big cholent, one big mixture, and the Torah says that God separated the waters from the earth in creating dry land we thank god for dry land why do we thank god for dry land so again when these blessings were first established by the sages they were recited not in one lump sum as we do at home or as other customs have they do it in the synagogue they were recited as they became relevant throughout the morning when you heard the rooster crow you would say thank you god who gives understanding to the rooster right to distinguish between day and night or the heart to know the difference between day and night when you opened your eyes god opens the eyes of the blind when you sit up he releases the bound straightens the bound, etc you get dressed as soon as you put your feet on the ground we're thankful for god for enabling us to do that we're thankful for something so simple as getting out of bed and literally just putting our feet on the ground which we wouldn't have been able to do were God not to have separated earth and water. Does this also have some relevance to the flood? The marble? Does it have relevance to the marble? I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Maybe. The, the flood took place much later after that separation occurred. Well, it was a, a new separation. A new separation. So, yeah, I, well, the, the, the way Kabbalah understands the flood, it was kind of like a reboot of creation. Hmm. Creation started with the water splitting, world covered in water, splitting, and now there's dry land. And because the world had sinned, God had to reboot 
restart and that's what the flood that's one of the things the flood uh represents that's kind of what a mikvah is same idea it's a reboot Hmm. from impurity to purity so it is that same idea and i guess we could look at the morning like that the morning is a reboot it's a rebirth a rebirth from water there is a uh, homiletic significance here as well By nature, when God created the world, water covered the surface of the earth. So there was always earth, but earth is (laughs) the earth is the earth, but it was covered in water all over the place. And God made this separation. So now we can exist independently on dry land. God broke nature for the benefit of our existence. By nature, water will cover earth. Earth is deeper than water. Water goes higher than earth. That's the default. God was kind, wanted our feet on the ground, literally. So he um, so he separated the two, even though it was unnatural. And this blessing is a reminder for us to... Do what's unnatural to us for the benefit of God. God did what was unnatural to existence for our benefit. And we should reciprocate. Let's try that again. John, I need your your help here. Reciprocate. There we go. And um, go against our nature for the benefit of God. Which means sometimes doing mitzvahs don't make sense. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes we could justify that it's not the right time, not the right place. Not no, we gotta just do it. We exist because God went against nature. We want God to exist in our world. That's going to require um, fighting nature a little bit. By the way, from a, uh, a halachic perspective, I thought this was interesting. I just learned this today. There's a question as to whether this blessing is recited if you're not actually on the ground. So if you're on a ship or you're on an airplane, is this blessing relevant? Do you make this blessing? Um, it, the truth is you have this question with all the blessings. God forbid somebody's not um, able to see. Do they say, thank you, God, who opens the eyes of the right? All of these blessings... But I thought this was an interesting context because it's a very specific scenario. Or take it a step further. If a um, observant Jew and far in the future ever goes on a mission to Mars, would that be applicable? Right, right. Then you have a lot of questions. You have a lot of questions about timing and, and yeah, that is, yeah, yeah. Way beyond my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but th- there's, a, there's a deeper meaning to this blessing. The simple meaning, thank you, God, for letting me have my feet on the ground. The homiletic meaning is thank you for breaking your nature for me to exist, hopefully inspiring us to, to reciprocate. Reciprocate. There we go. Got it. Um, <clears throat> perhaps another homiletic meaning. God wants our feet on the ground. He wants us to be practical. <laughs> he wants us to be down to earth, which leads us into our next explanation. What does water represent? What does earth represent? So here's what Kabbalistic teaching tells us about water. In general, 
there are two paradigms of viewing existence, of viewing God. There's the soul perspective, there's the body perspective, right? We've mentioned this in the past. If you were to, if you were to take a trip to heaven, right? Or if you were to see things the way the soul saw things, the existence of God would be so obvious. There wouldn't be any doubts, right? And the fact that there is the concept of doubts, so what, how could that even be? God is just all-encompassing. The fact that there's a world where people may be able to doubt God is unfath- unfathomable to the soul. Did I get that right? I saw that smile. <laughs> unfathomable. <laughs> Un- it was unfath- only because I knew you were struggling with it. <laughs> I'm just I'm teasing. It's unfathomable to the soul. The soul can't relate to it. I'm not saying the soul is judgmental to it, to doubts, but it's not something that the soul gets. Because what doubts? The soul just has clarity, right? Remember, we mentioned in the blessing on the bottom of page five, my God, the soul that you've given within me is pure. And it retains that purity. And there's a world where there's doubts, a world where there's corruption, a world where things can run where, where people can, where there can be ideology and behavior that is antithetical to God, the soul just says, I, I don't even get it. I'm, I don't begin to understand. Um, if you were to ask, interview the body without the soul, independent, put them in separate rooms, right? The body has the exact opposite perspective. What I experience sensationally, whether with my emotions, my ability to see, how I experience existence, that is the truth. I see it right here. That's obvious. That's taken for granted. And the fact that there's God, really? Can you prove it? How do you know? Oh, okay, I'll believe it. Like the soul almost doesn't even have faith. The soul just, because <laughs> there's no doubts, the soul just gets it. But the body has to have faith. And really, really there's God? How do you know? The first perspective, the soul perspective, is the water paradigm of existence. This is what Kabbalah refers to as the water paradigm of existence. You're going to see this in Kabbalistic terminology quoted throughout Tanya and other books as the unmanifested worlds, the hidden worlds. In Hebrew, Almad Iskasia. And that's the world of, that, that's the, the analogy is water. Because everything in water knows its source. Fish know its source. Fish realize they're dependent on their source, which is the water. They f- and, and a fish knows, I mean, theoretically, at least we know that, we know that if the fish leaves its source, it's not going to live anymore. It's dependent on its source. It's totally absorbed in its source. The soul is totally absorbed in its true source, God. It knows it can't leave God because it knows there's really nowhere else to go other than just don't exist. 
it's not that if I don't have God, it's not worth it. It's there's no other option. There's either God or nothing. Like we say in the Aleinu prayer, Ain od milvat, there's literally nothing else besides him. That is him. That's the water paradigm. I'm all, I'm all encompassed I will, by, by the water. Then we have the body's perspective. That's the earth paradigm. The earth paradigm, earth creatures as opposed to water creatures, feel independent. Feel separated from their source. Feel independently powerful. In Kabbalistic lingo, Alma de Iskalia, the manifest world, the revealed world. The world that seems um, independent. This is the dichotomy of the body-soul relationship. This is the dichotomy of the manifest, unmanifest world relationship. The dichotomy of heaven and earth. Now, in, in both paradigms, the reality is God is everywhere. The difference is the soul is pure and the soul gets it. The body doesn't get it. We have to explain it and hopefully he'll believe it. Hopefully we'll buy into it. And that's one of the reasons why we pray to help us better internalize this. If we were to take a trip to heaven and see the soul's perspective, we would get it. There would be no doubts. That's one of the reasons why we say in the, um, in the, um, in the long blessing right before the Shema, Ahavat Olam. It's one of my favorite blessings. And the line that we say, we sing it on Shabbos. Right? Sounds familiar? We say, God, let us not be ashamed. And the simple meaning is, let me not be ashamed in front of people. Let me be proud of my heritage. But the deeper understanding is, God, let me not be ashamed in front of you. Let, because one day I'm going to realize that you are everywhere. You are the truth. And that could be very awkward. Well, let me live with that reality right now. Let me live as if I am in the soul water perspective. Let me have that uh, understanding and faith. This is the duality or, or, or uh, if you will, dichotomy. And where does God want us? Which world, which perspective did God throw us into? The perspective where we're absorbed in our source, the water paradigm, the soul paradigm, or the independent, the, the, the perspective where we're independent, the body paradigm, the earth paradigm. He threw us into the latter. Right, God put us in a world where we seem quite independent. You, you know the famous teaching from Reb Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev. I've said this before, but I, it's just the, it's a, it's it really puts things in perspective. I'll say it again. Reb Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev, he was a colleague of Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi. Just to give historical context, the the author of the Tanya. He used to say, "God Almighty, if you would have put lust in a book." If you were to put self-interest in a book, if you were to put jealousy and hatred, all the bad traits in a book, and it was a theoretical concept that we would study about, learn about. But love of God, our mission, our purpose, why we exist, your values was right in front of our face, and we experienced it sensationally. Life would have been much easier, but God, you did it the other way around. It's not fair. You put lust right in front of our face. You put all the negative challenges right in front of our face. You put doubts in front of our face. And then we have to learn about your values in a book. 
but that's where that's the world God threw us into. And that's alluded to in this blessing. God spreads forth the earth, this paradigm of which we seem in, in which we seem independent above the waters. So God prioritizes earth over water, prioritizes the body over the soul, prioritizes the paradigm of which we feel independent from God over that paradigm of where we are totally absorbed in um, by our awareness of him. What's the reason? Before we get to the reason, the proof, we're all here. <laughs> If God wanted us in heaven, right? If God wanted us in heaven, we would have stayed there. But we're here. So what but what's what's the reason? The reason is that's where you can do mitzvahs. That's where you can connect to God. Not just experience him emotionally or intellectually, sensationally, but you can actually connect to him. You, you can actually do his will. There's the teaching from Pirkei Avot, the ethics of our fathers, the ethical teachings of the Mishnah, where it says one moment of teshuva and good deeds in this world is better than the entire world to come, is better than the entire heaven. And the reason is because heaven is an experience of God, an intellectual or emotional, sensational experience. But through a mitzvah, you connect to God's will himself. In order for that to happen, we have to be independent from him. In order for God not just to be our father, but to be our king, we have to be independent from him. Otherwise, he's not our king anymore. We can't do his commands. I'll tell you a great story. The story is with Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna. Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna was known as the Vilna Gaon. He was the Gaon. Gaon means the genius of Vilna. He lived about 200, a little over 200 years ago. In the times of, of the author of the Tanya, they had a relationship with each other, a story for another time. But he was a righteous Jew. He was an incredibly learned scholar, well-versed in halacha, in Talmud, in Kabbalah. I think they say that he never slept more than like two or three hours at a time. He, he, he was a very studious, immersed in, in, in what his soul cared about. And he was on his deathbed. The time was coming near, and he was crying. They asked him, Rebbe, why are you crying? You've never sinned in your life. <laughs> what are you afraid of? What's going to happen to you? You're going to move on to the next world, and you're going to go straight into heaven. Right? So what are you afraid of? Are you doubting heaven? Are you doubting the world to come? You've been immersed in your studies so much. And it, you like we, we just don't understand why a person of your stature is, would be, be crying if you have been preaching and believing in the world to come in the next world. And his response was, I have no doubts of where I'm going to be going in the next world. And I'm not afraid of death because I'll, I'll move on to the next world and that's beautiful. But I'm still sad because in the next world, I can't do mitzvahs. I could only experience God. I can't do his mitzvahs. 
in this world for a couple of pennies, or I don't know what the currency was back then, but he said for a couple of babkas, as we say, you buy a pair of tzitzis, you do a mitzvah. A couple of more babkas, you buy a pair of tefillin, you do a mitzvah. Shabbos candles, you do a mitzvah, or, or, or whatever it is. There's so many mitzvah opportunities, and I'm unable to do that soon. I'm not going to be able to do that uh, uh, in, in once my time comes. He was saddened by that. He saw that being on this world was the priority for God. <clears throat> God prioritized the earth over the waters, prioritized our world over the heavens. The paradigm of where we seem independent from God, the body, over the paradigm of where we're just by default aware of him just because we exist. God doesn't want us to be aware of him just because we exist. <laughs> and AKA doesn't want us to stay in heaven. He wants us to become aware of him in a place where he seems absent. And this idea is actually alluded to in this week's Torah portion. So to backtrack from the past couple of Torah portions, Joseph is sold by his brothers, becomes a slave in Egypt, eventually becomes the viceroy of Egypt. Am I pronouncing that right? Viceroy or vice? Viceroy, right? Viceroy. Becomes the viceroy. Becomes the viceroy of Egypt. I'm confusing everybody. I know. He becomes the viceroy of Egypt. And the brothers come to buy food because there's the famine. And he starts tormenting them because they don't recognize him. Finally, he reveals his true identity to the brothers. Says, go get dad. Bring him down here. We're all going to live here. Israel had a famine at the time. Bring him to Egypt. I'm in charge, and I'll, I'll take care of you guys. You're good. And this week's Torah portion talks about the end of Jacob's life, the last 17 years of his life in Egypt, right? And Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt, and it says for 17 years. And the commentaries ask, why does it say that he lived there for 17 years? If you do the math, the Torah tells us his age of when he got to Egypt, tells us the age of when he died. Right? Simple math, we could figure out that he was there for 17 years. Why does the Torah have to explicitly say it? Right? Real estate is supposed to be expensive in the Torah, and the Torah doesn't waste words. The commentaries point out that there's a lesson here. These weren't just 17 years. These were his best 17 years. The numerical value of 17 is tov, which means good. These were his best years. And the commentaries ask, how could they have been his best years? Granted, there were his most comfortable years because he had a very difficult life on the fly from his brother Esau being tormented by his uncle Lavan, thinking that he's lost his son Joseph. He's had a difficult life, granted. He had a difficult uh, marriage with Leah and a, a, a difficult um, marital dynamic, having four wives. He had a very difficult life. So yeah, it makes sense that he had a more comfortable life in Egypt. But why did he have a better life, spiritually speaking, in Egypt? And the answer is, for the same reason why God wants the soul not to be in heaven, but in earth. Okay, so Yaakov was spiritual in Israel. Great. Well, if I was in Israel... At the Western Wall, they didn't have that yet. But if I was surrounded by that environment, I would also be very spiritual. I would be very committed to my faith. But if I went down to Egypt, where God's presence is not as apparent, 
where that's not the natural environment, where perhaps following God's rules are against the grain. If I go down to Pleasanton, Livermore, Dublin, San Ramon, Danville, whatever it is, and that's not Borough Park, it's not Crown Heights, <laughs> it's not the same, but I could still make God relevant. That's what God wants. And that's what we say in this blessing every morning. I, I, we're going to read the blessing again, because as we read the blessing, I want you to try to think of everything we're saying in the blessing right now. So we could meditate on this in the morning when we recite the blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who spreads forth the earth, the earth meaning this perspective, this paradigm of where we seem independent from God, who prioritizes that over the waters, over heaven over that environment of where we're totally immersed in God. Because now we can be immersed in God because we chose to, rather than just because that's what we were born into. Questions, thoughts, comments? Controversy? More reflections? keep thinking of this phrase which i don't remember what it's from but water-like impetuosity um, one more time water-like impetuosity i might now i might be having pronunciation problems um in english <laughs> i think so i'm teasing I, I know it's something that i've studied i don't know if it was in perky avos or where i've what, something that had water-like impetuosity. I guess you're not familiar. I, I don't know the Hebrew, unfortunately. But we're talking about water, and so I'm, that phrase popped into mind because I never really... Okay, interesting. So when, at some point, I'll come across it again, and I, I'll have to just... Back okay, send it over, for sure. Yeah. You send it over. Send it over. Okay, we're ready to move on to the next blessing or any thoughts? Okay, let's move on to the next. Bottom of the page, last blessing. You'll soon see why. If you're ever having a difficult day, reflect on this blessing. If you're having a difficult morning, think about this blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who directs the steps of man. So again, on a very literal level, the blessing, the first, the previous blessing was recited as your feet hit the ground. Now this blessing is recited as you begin to walk. That's, that's on a very basic level. Thank you, God, for making me ambulatory, for making me mobile, for enabling me to move and get around. But again, everything has a deeper meaning. God literally directs the footsteps of man. Understand this blessing literally, not figuratively. God directs the footsteps of man because God orchestrates every uh, life situation. And where we are now is where we need to be. And uh, coming to terms with that is not easy, but it's very meaningful, very meaningful. It's believing in that 
what we call in Hebrew, hashgacha pratit, hashgacha pratis. God's supervision on uh, and relevance and orchestration of every aspect of existence. Everything in existence is relevant to a purpose. I was recently meeting with an individual who claims he doesn't believe in God. And I, I don't mean that to, uh, when I say claims, I don't mean, I don't mean to undermine his feeling that he doesn't believe in God, but I, I do believe the faith is there because he has an ashama. But he has a heart, but he, he, he doesn't experience faith in God. His life is so difficult because of it. Because the only thing that makes him relevant, if you're not relevant to God, then you have to be relevant to people. <laughs> and that is very difficult. To have to impress people all the time to stay relevant. You don't have to impress God to stay relevant. You're always relevant. He created you. You didn't create him. And when we realize we are relevant to God, because he's the one who put me here. He's the one who's directing my footsteps. There's literally nothing to worry about. In the 60s, there was a group of women flying from Detroit to New York. I think it was Detroit. They were flying to New York for the, some sort of Chabad women's event. Some sort of global event that they were going for. And on their way back, they had a stopover in Detroit. And you know what happens when you have a stopover in Detroit? It's like, why me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they, have, they have this unplanned stopover in, in Detroit, and it is snowing outside, and their flight's delayed. And I, I don't know the details of the story, but for some reason, they were nervous. I don't know if they thought they were going to be stuck for Shabbos, or there was were some sort of issue. So they called the office of the Lubavitcher Rebbe because that's where they just came from. They were coming from an event there. And the Rebbe's secretary answers and says, please give a message to the Rebbe that we're stuck and we need guidance. We're stuck at the airport. Here's the predicament. Here's the situation. And the, the secretary communicates that to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says, I don't get it. I don't understand. So they thought the, maybe like the Rebbe's English isn't that good. Okay, well, let's try to explain it. It's snowing outside. Planes aren't going anywhere. We can't get anywhere. We're stuck. Secretary tries to reiterate the statement. Same response. I don't understand. They don't know. Well, what are we going to do? So the Rebbe explained, no, I, I understand your language. <laughs> I don't understand why you think you're stuck. Just because you're not where you want to be doesn't mean you're stuck. You're just where God wants you to be. So there's an opportunity waiting for you. And they realized that they had an opportunity to connect and make God relevant, even in a Detroit airport out of all places. And by the way, their Detroit airport now is beautiful. I don't know what it was like back then. But, and they started giving out Shabbos candles and finding Jewish people to engage. And they started really using their time there as an opportunity. And it was, it was a paradigm shift 
in realizing what we're all about, we're never really stuck. We feel stuck. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's times where we feel stuck. There's times where we feel like I don't want to be here and I shouldn't be here. And then we say, and, and there's times where you say, if God would have asked me, I would have said no. And it's a good thing he didn't ask us <laughs> because this is where he wants us to be. I'll tell you another story. I'll tell you, I have three more stories for you. The Baal Shem Tov was known to be very spontaneous. And he spontaneously, or it seemed to be spontaneous, called over one of his Hasidim and said, I have a mission for you. And he sends him to some far-off forest, says, you're going to go there. There's a mission waiting for you. You have something there that needs to be accomplished since the beginning of creation. Right? Everybody's soul does. We learn in Hayom Yom. For those of us that are learning the Hayom Yom, it says from the moment of creation, our soul has been waiting. Right? So the Baal Shem Tov says this, go, I got something for you. He says, what am I going to do there? The Baal Shem Tov says, you figure it out. But there's something waiting for you. The Baal Shem Tov is very ambiguous. The guy goes, and he's expecting like a story to happen. He's going to come back, and he's going to have a story for everybody, right, at synagogue. He's going to tell everybody that I ran into this guy, and there was this whole chain of events, and I just and I prevented the whole, the whole, you know, the whole thing. He had this whole thing planned. He gets there, and it was the most uneventful trip of his life. <laughs> he was so disappointed. He was so disappointed. He came back, and the Baal Shem Tov says, how was your mission? He says, what mission? <laughs> I don't know if he said that in rap, but that's what he felt like. He says, I didn't do anything. Nothing. Didn't even meet. I didn't even see people. Felt like platinum. I didn't even see people. Baal said, can you tell me what your trip was like? <laughs> he says, okay. I went there. I came back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Give me the details. Tell me what happened. Even details that may seem minute and insignificant to you, I want to hear about them. And he starts recounting the entire trip detail by detail. I took my horse and buggy here. We stopped over here. I rested over here. I prayed over here. I, I uh, ate lunch over here. And then I went to this stream. I made a blessing. I drank water over here. The Bajshanta says, stop. That was your mission. So what are you talking about? That stream of water, you made a blessing and drank from it. You've elevated it. You've made it divine. You've made it significant to God. You've made it relevant to God's purpose. You've made it, you, you've brought God's awareness to it. Elevated the klipa. Like we discussed in Tanya. Since the beginning of creation, that water was untouched, was unelevated, was only used for things that were perhaps more self-centered. You've made it God-centered. You've brought God's presence there. And that has been waiting since the beginning of creation. Reflect back at this blessing. God directs the footsteps of man. Wherever we find ourselves, that's where we need to be because there's a mission waiting for us. I'll tell you another two stories. Two, both stories are identical, but it happened twice in about a year and a half apart. So the first one is going back to March 2020. 
right before the uh it was like the week before the whole covid shutdown covid was first starting but there was no shutdowns or lockdowns or anything like that yet do we have our chinese dinner yet did we have our yeah it was around that time I, i don't know if it was either right before or right after that was good good time reference good time frame it's crazy how time flies it's crazy so it was air of shabbos it was right before shabbos and head to walmart i had to pick up some stuff for shabbos i, I don't remember what it was probably a case of diet coke or something i don't know <laughs> it's gonna be a lockdown right so I, I head to walmart and whenever i head out i try to bring my tefillin with me because i'll bump into another jew hopefully and if they didn't yet put on tefillin that's why that's why i go to walmart <laughs> otherwise i could use instacart to bring the diet coke right this God prepares the footsteps of man. There's a purpose. I can't leave without filling. You got to Shabbos candles. So I had up, I, I had to Walmart. I was in a rush though. It was before Shabbos. Shabbos was relatively soon. So I'm in Walmart. I have the zooming down with my shopping cart. I'm a great shopping cart driver. I'm filling it up. Okay. I'm in, out, back in the car. I'm driving. I'm heading up Valley Avenue. And I look next to me where I usually put my tefillin and it's not there. I said, oh, God. I left my tefillin at Walmart in the shopping cart. I put the shopping cart back in the parking lot in that thing. Now I have to go back. Am I going to have to find it? Am I going to find it? It was very stressful. It was right before Shabbos and I had to. Shabbos doesn't wait. Shabbos is Shabbos. You know what I mean? It starts when it starts. So I took the Shabbos lane. You know the Shabbos lane. I got to Walmart in good time, and I go to the shopping cart. Tefillin's gone. Oh, man, I, I, I was really frustrated. Honestly, I'm thinking, God, why are you doing this to me? I was—I'll be honest—I was just annoyed. I don't know if I was annoyed at God or annoyed at myself, but I was annoyed. And like, why? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> you know, I don't have time for this. You know, I'm busy. You know, I got to get home. You know, there's stuff going on. I run into Walmart. I get my tefillin at the lost and found. It was no problem, thank God. As I'm getting back to the car, I hear, Rabbi! I turn around. It's a lady in the community. And all of a sudden, I have time, right? We're chatting. How are you, Rabbi? You know, thank God. How are you? It's good to see you. She says, I got to tell you something incredible. I wasn't supposed to be here for Shabbos. I was supposed to be traveling because of COVID and stuff is starting to pick up. I canceled my trips. I had no plans for Friday night. I totally forgot about services. It wasn't on my radar, but I see you right here. A reminder, I got to come to services tonight. I'll see you there tonight. And then reflecting back while I'm in the car annoyed. Why do I have to drive back? God, why did you do this to me? I don't have time for this. And if God would have asked me, hey, do you want to take a detour and go back to Walmart and waste some time? I would have said no. And it's a good thing God didn't ask me. Because this lady came to services. She had a meaningful Shabbos because I forgot my tefillin. Look back at this blessing. God directs the footsteps of man. I'll tell you another story. It's an identical story. Took place a little bit more recently. Right before Rosh Hashanah. End of the summer. I was, we were preparing for, uh, we have a kiddish every Shabbos, a Chabad, a Shabbos day, 12.15, a nice little Hamish kiddish. And Instacart was supposed to drop off the food. 
and we look on the app, it says they dropped it off, but it's not there. And what happened was apparently it made it to the church. And oh, right next door, right? Our neighbors. I, from the distance, look at their doorstep. It's not there. Somebody brought it in. Okay, I'm not going to start going and knocking on their door. Can I get into your kitchen and get our onions back? You know what I mean? It's whatever. I, and I was frustrated. Okay, I'll just go to Lucky's around the corner. But again, this was really close to Shabbos. I was supposed to have had the stuff. I wasn't planning for this detour. And again, same story. I don't learn. Same story. <laughs> I'm frustrated. God, why are you doing this to me? You know it's Arab Shabbos. You know there's no time. You know that I need to be home. You know that, I, that there's there's things that there, you know things got to get done. I rush to Lucky's. I run. I'm zooming down the the aisles with the shopping cart like a maniac, like a crazy person. <laughs> I zoom past this guy, and he like jumps back, like whoa. As I pass him, he yells, Shabbat Shalom. I come to a screeching stop. <laughs> I come I come to a screeching stop. I said, Shabbat Shalom, how are you? All of a sudden, I have all the time in the world, right? And we start chatting. And it's a Yid. It's a fellow Jew who lives right in the area, who's never connected, who hasn't connected with any form of Judaism in a long time has never been to Chabad. He's lived in the area for quite a while. I said, now I know why uh, my Instacart didn't make it and why I had to end up to Lucky's. And we, we, uh, we exchanged phone numbers and thank God we're, we're engaging. We're in touch. But I, it, whenever these things happen, I always reflect, it always brings me back to this blessing. God, you direct the steps of man. You are directing me. The Baal Shem Tov used to talk about how everything is relevant to God. Everything's relevant to the master plan of creation. A, a, um, a light wind outside is God orchestrating it so the leaf could fall off, so it could cover the worm, so the worm could survive the cold, so now that the worm could be food for the bird and that the bird can eat, and now that the bird can... Everything is, is relevant to creation, right? Even the leaf. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson used to say, well, wait a minute, if the leaf is relevant and human beings of whom creation centers around, for sure we're relevant. But there's a difference between the two. The leaf can't mess up, we could. Which is beautiful. We get to choose to internalize our mission. We get to choose to realize that God directs our steps and take advantage. The leaf doesn't get a choice. We could choose to take full advantage of why we exist to illuminate the world. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.